Two Girls and a Grape. Always fucking shit up. Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and orange is the color of loneliness. That's grim. Nothing rhymes with orange. Correct. Why, why are you Correct. looking at me like Oh, I was trying to think of something that rhymes with orange. Ange. Ange. And Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Orange. Wow. Okay. Orange. Well, I'm Jules. Hmm. And honestly, I don't think there's anything better than a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice from a roadside stand somewhere in the tropics. Well, that's a there's way to, random for you. That's that's a way to make this optimistic. Yes. Okay. I'm, just, the, I'm just bringing the energy level up a little we're, bit. We're on the up and up. Look at us. We go. are on <laughs> the up and up, people. So. In case you haven't noticed, Orange plays a theme this episode. Um, We are honoring the end of summer season with the perfect transition wine, an orange skin contact wine. This episode, we are drinking the 2021 Adega de Penalva. Did I get that right? Did Mm -hmm. I get that right? Yeah. Portuguese. Mm -hmm. Um, Maceration Bronco Dao from Portugal. Also, this episode is going to be really funny because I'm going to make Drea try to pronounce all the words in oh, Portuguese, so and bad. then I'm going to correct her. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be terrible. But to uh, kick us off, let's start with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Jules, what are you cheersing as, cheersing as we maybe sort of say goodbye to summer? I am cheersing to the long tail of summer in San Diego where the yeah. beaches are empty of... <laughs> tourists and the water and the water temperatures actually reach tolerable levels tolerable tolerable where you're not like like oh my god oh my god oh my god you know where you're like holding your breath it gets like hot enough out and the water temperature is warm enough that it actually feels very good to get in the water i just want to chime in that it rained this morning it was awful this morning it was delightful it was rainy and gray and now it's just muggy as fuck and sunny and hot. And she's wearing a jean jacket. By she, I mean Drea. It's a manifesting. She wants it to be fall so badly. It's always The fall. pumpkin spice <laughs> fucking, like, conversations that are happening right now are out of control. She's about to be, she's about to be shut down on that. <laughs> it's always fall. Miko is on. All right. What are you jeersing? I'm jeersing to the fact that there are Christmas decorations in retail stores. Oh, yeah. They're fucking everywhere. I mean, it, A, summer is not over. We have not gone through Halloween yet. Thanksgiving has not passed. Why are Christmas decorations and Christmas wrapping, like ribbon and wrapping paper, is already out in stores? I just don't get it. For those bitches who like to get, get oh, to jump on things. Just let yeah. us enjoy the seasons. The mini seasons of things. I was like, we have seasons here? Well, spooky season. Oh, spooky season. Thanksgiving. Dre doesn't celebrate that. I do not. And then Christmas. It's racist. So there's all, all of that stuff. What are you cheersing to? I am cheersing. No surprise. Oh, God. To spooky season. Oh, God. Oh, it's here. I'm so excited. <laughs> Halloween decorations. Pumpkin spice. Oh, pumpkin everything. spice. I told you. Horror I movies, told you. All the things. My body is so ready. Football. Today, I got to light a candle. Like a spooky season style candle. I got to watch college football. I am living my best life. Question. Was your air conditioning on? Fuck yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> but 
But I have a throw blanket because she likes to be cozy. She has her air conditioning cranking so she can light a fucking yeah. candle and wear a jean jacket. Yep. And have a blanket. <laughs> so we do in California. What are you jeersing to? Um, to it still being a million degrees. <laughs> I said spooky season, god damn it. <laughs> Get it together. Fucking global warming, climate change deniers, bastards. Oh, man. Okay, so usually Dre and I are pretty much on the same page, but we are just not with this bullshit. Well, I mean. Cheers and jeers. Pick your alliance now. Cheers to summer. Jeers to summer. I feel like our cheers and jeers are like the opposite. We just have little signs. Yeah. yeah. Little paddles that say cheers or jeers to that. <laughs> For this episode, again, since we are featuring a wine from Portugal, and it's, it's been a hot minute since we had one on the show from Portugal, we thought we would share some delightful facts about this part of the Iberian Peninsula. So, I'll kick us off. First, Portugal is one of the oldest nations in Europe. The borders of Portugal were defined officially in 1139, making it one of the oldest nations in Europe. Portugal appointed King Afonso Henriquez as its king that year. Before it was known as Portugal, the territory had been settled by various empires and civilizations, such as the Phoenicians, in 1200 BCE. Fascinating. I think so. I really think <laughs> that we should have renamed this segment Not Showinigans because it's a little more serious than we normally well, go maybe for, if but... we were a little more drunk than we normally are, it would be funnier. Maybe. <laughs> we can change that. <laughs> Uh, the oldest operating bookstore in the world is located in Lisbon. So for these two book nerds, I think that's pretty I cool. I mean, this is a cool one. It's pretty awesome. Still not Schweinigans. It's oh. located in Chiado. Livraria Bertrand holds the Guinness World Record for the world's oldest bookstore still in operation. It was founded in 1732. With over 250 years of history, Bertrand was opened by Peter Faure as a small shop and was once a hot spot for Portuguese intellectuals across the decades. Can you just see it? They're sitting in there with their pipes and their... their What's the Portuguese word for, like, uh, glasses? like a, the French, like, salon? What's I don't know. Oh. Well, what could, why do I have you here? I, oh, I... Hi! <laughs> so this is my farewell episode, everyone. <laughs> Apparently, because I don't know one word in Portuguese... She's firing me. Finally give her shit. Oh. In 2010, the bookstore became part of the Porto Editoria Group and branches opened all over the country. However, the Lisbon location remains a historical and cultural landmark for book lovers. Love that. Okay, here's one that actually relates to our drinking habits and is very important for us and wine lovers everywhere. Portugal is home to the world's largest cork forest. Portugal is the biggest cork producer in the world and produces more than 50% of the world's cork supply. And where do we find cork? Wine bottles, I say. Oh, wine okay. bottles. Okay, I was like, I mean, a wine bottle? Oh, my God. Enthusiasm, I say. Enthusiasm. <laughs> well, I was like, I mean, it's like we're talking about wine bottles, right? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 
fuck my bag. Guys, right. we're going to have to do a shot here. It is Please a, hold. Real soon. <laughs> it is also home to the world's largest cork forest, making up 34% of the world's area of cork forest. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. That's very, I didn't know that. I, previous know, to this so and I don't think I have ever heard it you know sometimes you're like I think maybe I heard that but I couldn't come up with that on my own I don't know that I've ever heard that have you been to Portugal yes yes so but you probably, not I haven't traveled around but, I took a bus from Spain to Portugal but to there's like fucking cork shit everywhere yeah I don't like, like I can't remember that it was in college so because she was drunk I mean I was visiting my parents <laughs> oh they were on holiday in Portugal so you were drunk. So I met them there. So yes, probably. <laughs> and I had to ride a 12-hour bus from Madrid to Port- to Portugal, to Lisbon. Thanks, Gordon. Spring for a commuter <sighs> flight. Well, they were springing for me to study abroad. So oh, let's give right, them a little bit of a break there. Fine. Okay. <laughs> in July of 2001, Portugal became the first country in the world to decriminalize all drugs, including meth and heroin. The law made drug possession for personal use legal, while drug trafficking remains a criminal offense. I mean, okay, fair. The change in law was applied as a measure to fight the heightened drug epidemic of the 90s and the rise of HIV cases. Portugal now has some of the lowest drug usage rates in the European Union. Let that be a fucking lesson, United States. Look at gun control in other countries. Look at the way drugs are controlled in other countries. And you know what? Maybe we don't do things in the best way here. Just saying. Off soapbox. Continue. (laughs) So this one is actually for Hot Rob. Hot Rob. The biggest waves ever surfed were in Portugal. Nazare is the go-to for surfing huge waves, making it a permanent spot on the World Surf League Big Wave Tour. In 2013, an estimated 30-meter wave broke the surfing record off the coast there. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of people surfing those waves. It's intense, and it makes my butt hurt when I watch it. Like, like I'm clenching my butt. Your butt is so like my butt is like not gonna make it through. <laughs> well, now my butt's clenched. I mean, when you, I'm just like absolutely fucking not. That person is going to die. Okay, moving on from butt Sorry, hurt. Not Rob. Sorry. Hope your butt's clenched. <laughs> Portugal is also a leader in Europe in sustainable energy. In March of 2018, the country generated 100% of its energy through renewable sources such as hydro, wind, and solar power. In 2020, Portugal ranked as the fourth green country in the European Union across six categories, including waste, energy, greenhouse gases, air quality, freshwater, and natural land. That's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. I mean... People be taking it fucking seriously. Really? You don't fucking say. We just don't understand that here in this country. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, you know, like the mass producers of... Of you everything. know, like everything, just mass, think that it doesn't think though. that it's not even real. Consumers, yeah, and producers, right? Like industrialized countries. Oh, yeah, fair, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we? Are we an industrialized? Uh, no, no, no. We're we're not a civilized country. <laughs> oh, we I'm are sorry. an industrial. You're confusing the I'm, two words. You know, what? I haven't drank enough. Yet. You're That's conflating why. those I'm words. So sorry. Yes, we are industrialized, not civilized. 
Got it. Well, on that note, it's last. It's time for our last fact about Portugal, which is very civilized. Um, Portugal, it turns out, is one of the best places in the world to retire. Uh, according to International Living's annual Global Retirement Index and Forbes, it is ranked one of the best consistently because of its low cost of living and tax incentives, making it an attractive place for retirees from all over the world to settle down. So I'm thinking, Drea might need to reconsider her her plan to move to Barcelona. Hmm. Maybe you need to start learning. I mean, you don't know Spanish, so you might as well I don't know shit. learn some Portuguese I don't know shit about shit. and as, move to Portugal. As we have all seen. <laughs> I can help you in either one of those places. That's great. Even That's though great. I don't know the word for salon in Portuguese. Yeah, so disappointing. <laughs> disappointing. I mean, I, want, I, I fully intend to retire and have my own... Salon. Salon. So. Salon. We need to figure this out. What are they called in the United States? What would be the English word for that? Oh, that's okay. We're not civilized. We don't have salons here in the United we States. We don't have intellectual <laughs> gatherings in. What are they call them in the UK, Miss Britt? I don't know. See? The pub? <laughs> <laughs> happy hour? We call it the dive bar. <laughs> They call it happy hour at <laughs> five o'clock. <laughs> Back alley. <laughs> so there you go. You're not so fun, Shawinigans, but I mean, very, fun. very fun. informational and educational, which is what this podcast is apparently going towards. What it's an education to podcast. Because I'm now becoming, now I'm becoming an educational podcaster. I see. Are you in the salon? We are in the salon. Salon. <laughs> salon, everyone. <laughs> In true two girls in a grape um, fashion. fashion, we went down a little rabbit hole on the word salon, which in French means a reception room. But in the 1800s, the meaning grew to include um, a gathering of elegant people, which Often I decided just absolutely did not happen in the United States. <laughs> but Drea dug up this little gem about Martha Washington. So, according to the internet, the internets, the interwebs, the dark webs, <laughs> the dark webs. What's that show like? Dark corners of American history. What intellectualism? Dark corners of American history. Okay, so because it's very deep to the deep. interwebs. Martha Washington, the first American first lady. Right, we're all on board here. Okay, performed a function similar to the host or hostess of a European salon. She held weekly public receptions throughout George Washington's eight-year presidency. At these gatherings, members of Congress, visiting foreign dignitaries, and ordinary citizens alike were received at the executive mansion. Remember, they didn't live in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. The The warehouse. (laughs) The White House. Well, that's what Trump's trying to turn it into when he was president. Yeah. Um, And so this was kind of the new tradition of American society hostesses. So we think about, you know, like think about like New York society at the turn of the 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 20th century and in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, and then you think further into like the 30s and 50s, how that becomes much more diversified um, with kind of like the intellectual clubs of writers and musicians in the Harlem Renaissance, of the beatniks in, you know, San Francisco on the West Coast. And so I think it's it's interesting to see how that tradition kind of 
separates into these two very, very different lines of culture in the United States, which which doesn't surprise me because it's still such a polarizing place politically, intellectually, culturally. So this is supposed to be really short and quick. You were just supposed to talk wow, about Martha okay, Washington, okay. and you went into a history lesson. You know what? This is why orange is the color of loneliness. <laughs> and this is why Jules is going to go pour herself a drink now. Bye. Salon. Bottle number 62 on Two Girls and a Grape is the Adega G. Penalva Maceration Branco del 2021. Price point for this bottle is $20 to $25. The ABV is 12.5%, so perfect day drinking type of bottle. That's aggressive. Is it aggressive? I don't think it's aggressive. On the higher end of the low ABV scale, no? I mean, I feel like 11 to like 13% is like a decent daytime. Listen, it depends on how fucked up you want to get by 2 p.m. Oh, so you're going to start earlier than 2 p.m. I'm just, I'm thinking like lunchtime into evening. You said day drinking, girl. Yes. <laughs> All right, so I guess that could be 8 a.m. I don't know. Wow. But I was thinking more lunchtime. Breakfast wine. Breakfast. Should, this is not a breakfast wine. We, no, we should have a breakfast wine episode, though. We should definitely yep, do that. Okay, 100%. stay tuned for that. Uh, the basics of this wine are it's Portuguese and a skin contact white wine. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Okay. Orange wine does not mean it's made from oranges. <gasps> I know. Dun, oh, dun, my dun, God. Dun. And here I was talking about freshly squeezed orange juice, thinking I was going to get that in my glass <laughs> with alcohol in it. <laughs> and pulp. Oh, that's called a screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> and it has vodka. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, basics. Orange wine is not, not made, made from, from oranges. oranges. It is orange because it's, so it's made from a white grape, and they leave the skins on. Um, during the early parts of the fermentation process a little bit longer. So instead of de-skinning them right away, they sit there for a while, hence the maceration situation. And it can be anywhere from a couple hours to honestly a couple weeks. It really depends on the winemaker, on the crop, on what they're going for. So yeah, just full disclaimer, no oranges were harmed. No oranges were harmed in the making of this orange wine. Exactly. All right, tell us about what the blend of this wine is. So this is going to be a whole mouthful for everyone. We are dealing with all Portuguese grapes. So this is a blend of 40%. Cerceal Branco. Cerceal. Did I get that right? Cerceal Branco. 30%. Encruzado. Encruzado. Yes. No? Okay. 30% Malvasiafina. Good job. Thank you. I drink that one. Um, okay. So, I'll drink to that. So the Branco is a light-skinned wine grape variety that is found primarily in the Dao region um, of mainland Portugal. And so while single variety um, Cresciel wines do exist, they are relatively few and far between. The grape is most commonly used as a blending component with Bicala Baga or Encruzado, um, which is obviously one of the ones that we're drinking in this blend. The aroma profile for this grape tends more towards minerality rather than fruitiness, although you can get some notes of lime and grapefruit, so kind of the, those heavier citruses. Um, what's really the standout star in this grape, though, is the acidity. So not only does it add that kind of refreshing note 
and that punch of acid to this particular wine, but it allows the wine to be capable of aging. And so even on um, the website, they will tell you that you can age this wine for you know up to a decade. We're obviously not. We're drinking it right now. Because we're um, alcoholics. Because, yeah. Well, oh, that's such a dirty word. We <laughs> wouldn't use that word in the salon. <laughs> so, the but, salon would say something else. But, um, you know, you can age this wine if you wanted to. So that's the first grape. Second grape, the Incrusado, is arguably Portugal's finest white grape variety, although it is far from the most famous. It is planted mainly in the granite hills of Dao, um, and it makes a rich, full-body wine with aromas of lemon, woody herbs, which I definitely get from this, but more on that later, stone fruit, and melon. Oftentimes, it will also have floral overtones. These wines, in their single varietal form, are often prized for their waxy, textural mouthfeel, um, which, again, allows them to be cellared for many years and aged. But what you're going to get with this grape is more body. So whereas the first grape gave you acid, this one's going to give you structure and body. Hot bod. <laughs> okay, we should definitely record that and just interject it in various episodes. Hot bod. <laughs> Make a note, Ferguson. Right. <laughs> uh, however, it can also be a very finicky gape, gape, gape grape to make wine from, as it has a tendency to oxidize quickly if not handled very carefully so the during the winemaking process you're thinking temperature pressure like you've really got to keep an eye on this one um oak aging in particular helps to tame some of its more astringent notes and oftentimes adds a softness with notes of like nuttiness or toast characteristic to the finished wines currently there's very little of this variety planted outside of portugal but the, as the grape begins to gain momentum and as more and more people outside of Portugal are noticing um, this grape, you know, we think that this is kind of like one of the up and comers, so to speak, on the international wine scale. Okay, and then the last grape is probably the one that, if you've heard of these, most of you have heard of this one. That's the Malvasia Fina. Malvasia is an ancient family of grapes that includes a diverse collection of noble varieties. These grapes are produced are capable of producing wines of any color and in any style. So from dry to sweet, from still to sparkling, from reds to whites. There are dozens of regional synonyms and subvarieties of Malvasia, um, which you know really I think speaks to the way that winemaking happened and and those traditions traveled in the Mediterranean. So you see a lot of these grapes across Port Portugal, Italy, Spain, Greece, Croatia, and now more recently in the United States. The grape is believed to be of Greek origin. Duh. <laughs> and the Malvasia family um, has been commercially part of the Mediterranean wine growing tradition for more than 2000 years. So again, has a very long history there. So speaking of even more history. Let's get to some fun facts with Jules. So it's not really about history, though. It's more about the Portuguese language and Portugal. So this probably really could have been Shawinigans, but 
we're going to talk about as fun facts with Jules. So, well, and tell them why it's fun facts with Jules in particular, though. Well, okay, so Jules, as many of you know, was born and raised in Brazil, which is a Portuguese-speaking country. So, anything related to Portuguese is obviously falling under my domain of the podcast, or really just anything having to do with foreign languages. Wow, that got territorial <laughs> and fast. pronunciation of foreign and languages. Foreign, just color of loneliness. <laughs> All right, so there are over 250 million Portuguese speakers around the world, and Portuguese is one of the 10 most spoken languages in the world, um, and it's also the official language of nine countries, including Brazil, Mozambique, Angola, Portugal, Guinea-Bissau, East Timor, Equatorial Guinea, Macau, Cape Verde, and São Tomé and Príncipe. Uh, so it's really not surprising that... Only 5% of Portuguese speakers actually live in Portugal. They're pretty spread out around the world. With the larger percentage of those people living in Brazil, because Brazil is a massive country. Right. Yes. Um, the word for people who speak Portuguese is a lusophone. I did not know that. Oh. So I'm a lusophone. That's really interesting, though, because one of my favorite urban winemakers, he's Portuguese. Uh-huh. Up in Berkeley, Lusu. Now you know why it's called oh Lucy. My God. Wow. wow. Shh, mind blown. It's all coming together now. <laughs> Portuguese is the sixth most spoken language around the world. It's also the fastest growing European language. The longest word in Portuguese has 29 letters. Fuck me. The longest English word has 28. The English word is anti-disestablishmentarianism. Oh, God. I had to practice that one a few times. The Portuguese word is anticonstitucionalizamente. I'm not going to spell that for you. Don't. I did have to, I had to say that one out loud a couple of times. But once you kind of break it down, it's like anti-constitutionalist, basically, is what it means. Um, until recently, um, in 2009, the letters K, W, and Y were not part of the Portuguese language. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you know why? They just didn't have um, words that had those letters in them. Oh, that's crazy. But then they've incorporated they've incorporated those letters into words to be more aligned with like Spanish and English. Got it. Yeah. Morphology. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite Portuguese word? Oh. My favorite Portuguese. Okay, so one thing that is important to also understand is that Portuguese in Brazil is different from Portuguese in Portugal. Well, I mean, just, just like, like Spanish. Spanish, Spanish is, is different. different English yeah. is different. You know, different English-speaking regions of the world. Um, so when I actually traveled in Portugal, I had a little bit of a hard time adapting mm. also because i've been studying in spain for quite a while so that sort of like switching filters and switching mm. um languages in my brain took a little bit but i would say my favorite word in portuguese because it's a food <laughs> is brigadeiro which is it's a chocolate truffle basically Ooh. it's condensed milk butter cocoa powder cooked Till it thickens up, and then you roll it into a ball, and then you roll it in chocolate sprinkles. Um, why aren't we having that for this episode? They're, because I, when I do make it, what ends up happening is I don't even roll them into balls. I just spoon it out of the pan. 
It's so good. Because you can't control They're yourself. so good. <laughs> so, like, a lot of birthday cakes growing up, would, ha- would you'd have, like, a brigadeiro cake. So, it'd either have, like, that would be the filling. Or they would be, like, around Or that. they'd be around oh, it, yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah. I'll make them in the yeah. fall. My birthday's coming up. I'll make them in the fall. It's also, like, one of those things where you have to, you have to sand and stir it uh, so that it cooks. No lumpy lumps, yeah. Yeah, so you no. want it to cook. And, like, you know, when you drag your spoon through it, it, like, makes that nice little canal like separation in the pan mm-hmm. so it's like it's way too hot for me to stand at the also they may not for that set long. so we'll wait till the time is right oh they'll set i mean they make them in brazil oh where it's always hot and humid it's just more me i don't want to stand on this at the stove and do it <sighs> we all Anywho. have to make sacrifices jules we do so yeah brigadeiro <laughs> no it's not not an intellectual word at all it's just uh fun it's fun to say and it's fun to eat <laughs> <laughs> well good enough for me <laughs> Okay, uh, Drea, tell us about the region where this wine is produced. Okay, so this region is coming from the Dow wine region, which is one of the oldest in Portugal. Um, However, despite the fact that they've been growing wine there for a long, long time, it only received official recognition as a DOC, um, a denomination cow, denomination now? So. A Dominion cow. So the it's controller. I got the controller okay. down. <laughs> Denominação. No. Denominação. The C with a little tilde under it, and the A with a little squiggly line over it, and the O is an ohm. Ohm. Makes an ohm sound. Denominação. 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 De origem. De origem. De origem. Controlada. Controlada. I got the it's, controlada. You just pronounce things a little differently than you do in yeah, Spanish. Yeah, it's very yeah. similar, but. Um, so that's like their AVA, right? Their viticultural area or their domain of origin, as we talked about with some Spanish wines. So they just received that DOC, though, in 1990. So they're young. Yep. But, I mean, they come from a long line of wine growing and winemaking in that area. Uh, it is located in the higher regions of Portugal along the Serra de Australia. Estrella, Serra de Caramulo, and Serra de Nave mountain ranges. I think I did all right. I think I did all it right was, there. It was okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The vineyards t- typically occupy small plots of land, which can range in elevation from 600 feet all the way up to um, 3,300 feet. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity there for some interesting microclimates. The temperate climate overall in the region, however, is sheltered from the chills of the Atlantic Ocean, but the area still receives plenty of rainfall in the winter, which keeps the, hyd- the soils hydrated during hot, dry summers that Portugal is known for. Uh, the cooler nights and warmer days allow for slower ripening process, which, as we've discussed previously, is always good for grapes and tends to produce strong aromas and, ex- and acidity to make rich, elegant wines. Um, some other grapes that you might recognize from the Dao region include Toriga Nacional, uh, Baga, Bastardo, Tinta, Perina, and so those are some of the reds, and some of the whites include Bacal, Cereal, Cercial, Cercial. I was like, nope, that's breakfast. <laughs> that's um, Kellogg. <laughs> that's some frosted. Where's my lucky charm? And Rabo de, Rabo de Ovelha, Ovelha and Verdelo. Verdelo. Okay, close. Yeah. Close. Close, half a cigar. Rabo de ovelha, I think, ovelha is sheep, I think. Tail of sheep? 
Tail of sheep? Rago is tail, yeah. I wonder if it's like a, you know, like Tinto de Toro or... Yeah, it's Portuguese yeah. for sheep's tail. Okay, well, there you have it. It's a white Portuguese wine grape variety that's going all over Portugal. Okay. Maybe that'll be our next Portuguese wine. If we could find that, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit about the winery and the winemaker. Um, so this was a surprise to me and is totally fascinating. So the Adega de Panalva is actually a collector or a cooperativa that has more than a thousand members and annually sources grapes from over 1200 vineyards so I thought that that was super cool that there was kind of this wine collective um, that really works together as a community so together the collective produces an average of 10 million liters of wine each year so that's a lot of wine you know typically we don't do a ton of big producers here on the podcast but they're also drawing from these individual members and vineyards and together the collective produces quite a number of bottles in both red white still and sparkling and i believe they have a couple of rosés in their lineup as well well the collective was formally established in december of 1960 by 11 original winemakers by 1963 they had more than 43 members and has grown exponentially since then i'm going to interject a fun fact oh please okay so 10 million liters is 2,641,720 u.s liquid gallons so it's almost three thousand three million gallons that's a lot of wine it's a lot of wine into it it's a lot of milk bottles (laughs) <laughs> Today, the collective makes wine under their own label, Penalva, in bottle, bag, and box form. Love it. Which we love because these are all sustainable options. In addition, um, they make wines for other bottling companies in the Dow regions as well. So not all of the grapes that they produce are making wines that are sold under their labels. They also work as growers for other labels, which is... A practice that we see commonly in the U.S. as well. And the specific wine that we're drinking today um, is so. Here's what I think is actually really cool. Despite the fact that there's su- there's such a huge producer in mm-hmm. terms of the collective, I think individually these wines can have a lot of character because of the way that these farms operate. So this specific wine comes from all hand harvested grapes is grown in granite soils and uses spontaneous fermentation. It is macerated on the skins for 20 days. So that's why you're getting this beautiful golden color that we'll talk about here in a few minutes. And it's aged for five months in French oak barrels. That are previously used. Yes. No, so neutral French oak. Um, So, you know, and that's going to, again, going to really play into the body that some of these grapes in this blend are capable of expressing and add that structure and those textures to the wine. So, speaking of, should we get into this bottle? Let's do it. Here we are at our favorite part of the episode. We get to taste the wine and tell you all about what we're seeing what we're smelling and what we're tasting and what we would pair it with. So let's start with what does it look like in the glass? She's so pretty. She pretty. (laughs) I think you said it best when you were like, this is like a bright, shiny gold. 
It is. Yeah. It's a like when you have a brand when you see someone that just got married and they have a brand new gold wedding band. It's got like that sheen sparkle it, and yeah. sheen to it. This is what this looks like. In That's the glass. a much more elegant description than what I came up with, which was it looks like Martinelli's apple juice. We also said Christmas tinsel, yeah, like Christmas gold, like that kind of that that warm gold. Yes, I do love a Martinelli's apple juice, though. I'm not gonna lie. They also come in really cute bottles. Yes. And it reminds me of my childhood. So there's that. Okay. On the nose. So I feel like we had really different experiences Mm -hmm. on the nose. Um, Some of us had a hard time articulating. I I did. This one stumped me a little bit. Um, I had a hard time articulating. It took me a lot of iterations to get to what I was trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, to me on the nose, it's really clean. And so I'm getting like notes of grass, golden apple, unripened nectarine, herbs like thyme and tarragon, but with like the slightest touch of cream. But I had to dig fucking deep to get that. Cause I'll be honest, like that acidity and um, the alcohol like kind of hit me first. And I really had to like, Swirl and sniff, swirl and sniff, swirl and sniff. It's, and it's also eat something. Yes. You didn't get that until after. Like, we were really having trouble kind Picking of stuff nailing out. this down. So my initial thought was that I was smelling something buttery, but not like butter. I was trying to come up with a description that was like a cake. Not a pound cake, not an angel cake, but a cake with some sort of a stone fruit in it. Like, you would make like a breakfast cake. A coffee cake, but I feel like coffee cake depicts like spices and like heaviness, but not like that. So I was having a hard time. Cake batter maybe is like what I'm fun Betty. What I'm getting at is <laughs> just that kind of slightly sweet Betty Crocker's creamy buttery. Cake maybe butter. maybe that's what it is. Maybe just <laughs> bake cake batter in general. Cake batter ice cream. So, yeah. No, but we had a hard time kind of thinking about the nose. So Jules was like. Why don't we get some nuts? So we have some rosemary, rosemary, yeah. marcona almonds here, and that that absolutely helped. And so was a game changer. Full disclosure: this is probably a bottle you want to have with some food. So let's talk yeah. about the taste of the wine first, and then we can go into the pairing. So Jules, what what do you did that? Are you are you still getting cake vibes up in your mouth? No, not when I tried it. It wasn't cake vibes. It was just that hint of cake batter that I was getting that I was trying to nail down on the nose. But to me, the taste was like I initially it was a little disappointing, right? When we first tried it, yeah, we're we both didn't like, really pick out a ton. we're like, eh, it's not bad. There just wasn't anything that was like hitting right away. It was sort of like I said, it's well balanced, but not in a way that like shows any particular flavor profile yeah like we we it's it's not bad like it wasn't unpleasant to drink in like we're not pouring it down the drain right which we have done before a 100 percent. but uh i mean who hasn't but it it was also really difficult to pick out particular flavor notes Mm -hmm. without activating something else on your palate um so once we did drink it i got like if you know we had we had the nuts i was able to pick out things like pear salt which is coming from that high minerality 
And of course, those fresh herbs became much more pronounced. I mean, I'm sure the rosemary almonds help. I'm gonna say, with I feel that, like the rosemary salty almonds also are like skewing that a little bit. Probably, but definitely. But they did help bring out a flavor, though. Yeah, it definitely sure. get like the pear much more pronounced. A yeah. little bit of that lime zest on the finish too. Mm-hmm. So, um, it. I mean, it. You know, once you get into the bottle, the other thing too, because it's an orange wine. Okay, so full disclosure, it is real hot, and because it's an orange wine, you can you can chill it, right? Yeah. The, the vineyard recommends serving at 16 degrees Celsius, but we're all about your taste and preferences on this podcast. So it is real chilled mm-hmm. in the fridge. We've been keeping it in the fridge. It's full chilled. Yeah. yeah, but typically, I will say this, I like to personally, you know... Take orange wines out of the fridge about 20 minutes before I'm going to serve them. And then I don't put them back in a fridge. I don't put them back in a wine um, bucket. I just let them sort of warm up and evolve over the evening because I like to see like that. she acting like this bottle going to last over the evening? (laughs) Well, here it's not. That is not (laughs) what we're trying to do right now, Julie. It's never (laughs) what we do. Evolve over the evening. If I was serving this in my salon. To herself. <laughs> to Only her. It might last the evening. Maybe my husband. Couple of hours. <laughs> Maybe Joby is hanging out. It might have a chance to come up to room temperature, but probably not. To come up a little bit. I'm just calling bullshit on her. Any who has. It will evolve as you leave it out and let it warm up. Um, so let's, now that we've, we've, we've talked about the technicalities, let's talk about the pairing. So what do you want to, I mean, okay, we, other than the fucking nuts we just like yeah. took down, what do you want to pair with this wine? So I did have two things that came to mind. One was a charcuterie board specifically with like apricots, dates, these rosemary almonds, like things that are really tasty and have different flavor profiles, right? So like dates are going to be sweet. Your almonds are going to be salty. The apricots have that like they're not extreme in taste, but they have that nice smooth like kind of mellow fruity taste. But then... I also thought about, I recently was in a restaurant in Salt Lake City called The Bayou, and it's all like Cajun-style food, and I had a crawfish etouffee, and I thought this would go really well with that, because it's kind of heavy. It's basically like a risotto-style rice dish, right? So it's like kind of creamy and heavy, but with the crawfish, I feel like this would actually pair really well with that. So that's what I would go with. Yeah, I can see that. Um... I said like a wood roasted whitefish. So you're still getting like that lightness of a whitefish. Think like cod, halibut, mm-hmm. ono, stuff like that. Um, but getting that that flavor profile and that density from wood roast, like a wood mm-hmm. roasting oven. Yeah. Um, a slight smokiness. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, a, like it's late summer, so I love during this time of the year a, a really simple salad with oh, a, shocking i know i know she loves a during salad. this time of the year a salad <laughs> every fucking time of the year i love a salad but for this <laughs> salad i would do um like arugula and figs mm, and yeah. some torn end herb. of summer yeah and type torn stuff yeah herbs and just 
uh, olive oil, you Maybe know, like a citrus dressing. Oh no, maybe she a little citrus a, dressing. She just wants a drizzle of olive oil. A little squeeze of orange just juice, maybe. A drizzle of olive oil. Because it's orange wine. It's not orange wine. I mean, it's goddamn it. All right, so <laughs> that's what, what's your situation? My situation. That mega yacht we saw the other day. Oh no, this is not fancy enough for that shit. Wow, I was hoping that they would be fancy, but like you know, good people. Yeah, no. That's a Russian oligarch, let's be honest. <laughs> we saw, Dre and I saw this massive yacht out in the San Diego Bay, and I was like, wow, that thing is, like, you could, like, they had a helicopter on it. It was one of those kinds of yachts. But anyway, nope, that wouldn't be my situation. I would probably, I feel like this one would be really nice. So if before the pandemic, we used to have something called the Bird Park Concerts. It was like free concerts in the park. And we all would trek up there with our beach chairs, lawn chairs, whatever. And everybody would kind of bring something to eat. But everybody's more sophisticated. So you're not just bringing like chips and dip. So people would bring all kinds of things like some roasted eggplant and some like homemade hummus and... You know, different parts mm-hmm. of a charcuterie board, basically. And I feel like this would be, de- like, good to be, like, just sitting, chilling in the grass, picnic style, but with, like, more, like, fancy picnic accoutrements. Accoutrements. With some, like, really just good, fun live music in the background. I like that. So, so end of summer, like, that's, like, the end of summer, like, the last, like, outdoor summer concert of the year kind of thing. Right. I like that. I like that. So, um, I'm going to... Go more towards the beginning of fall. Okay, Cause, cause of course all, she is. Because yeah. we all know how I feel about this time of the year. She's going to be in a sweater. <laughs> I'm going to have my AC on full fucking blast in a sweater, but no. Under a blanket. Under a blanket. But I actually think this is a really great wine to serve during football season. So I have, like, I okay, I fucking love football. I love college football. I love NFL football. Like, this is glorious for me. I got to see my team play this morning. It's fucking great. So I'm surprised you didn't want to come to that Friday night game with us last night. I mean, if I had known for sure that there was going to be hot dogs, I would have done it. Which Rob said is the best high school football game he has ever watched in his entire life. I do respect that. It was pretty intense. I do respect hot dogs. It came down to a field goal to tie the game. Overtime? And they missed. Oh, and it was a 20-yard field goal, Oof. and the kid missed because it's a freshman kicker. Oof. Their stud kicker was out hurt. And I'm like, that kid, that he's like, what? Kid. When you're a freshman, you're like 14, 15? Yeah. Crushing. Oof. Anywho. Wow. So, yeah, football. Wow. I even was like, ah! Maybe orange isn't the color of loneliness. Maybe it's that kid. Maybe okay. it's that kicker. Oof. Sorry, Damn. guy. Sorry, buddy. You're not listening to this, but sorry. <laughs> he's not old enough to drink. It's fine. So, um, I, like... I'm not typically a beer drinker. It's it's too heavy for me. I do love a fucking cocktail. Um, uh, on a you game, don't say. On a game day. <laughs> or just a day. Just a normal day. But Just every day. Like if I'm at home. In her big ass hydro flask <laughs> with a handle. Just making a cocktail in there. I should have put a gin and tonic yes. in there. I fucked up. So, um, but when I'm at home watching games. You know, and I put like my little football snacks out. She's got a candle lit. I got my fucking like apple, like orchard candle lit, fucking whatever. Yeah. 
this is this is a type of wine I would put out for that. Like yeah. it's it's fun, it's festive, it's, easy. it's an easy drinker, it's gonna pair well with charcuterie. One of the snacks. Just fo- snacks. Football foods cheese I, puffs. I like to do a, a lot is little mini Italian sandwiches. Oh, yeah. Like on Hawaiian rolls yeah. or um like pigs in a blanket oh, or real popular in our house during football season. Love that. So you know, just a little this would actually even go good with like a little barbecue pulled pork sando. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So football stuff. Fall football stuff. stuff. Fall okay. stuff. All right. I feel like that kind of also covers entertainment. Oh my You're God. watching football and I've, I'm listening to live music. I have fucking become you. This is a disaster. But it kind of. No, it's. Situation uh, it's and entertainment fine. are very interchangeable. Fine. So we covered it all. Look at that. Look at that. Efficiency. Oh my God. Not really. What? Okay, to purchase this bottle. So we purchased this bottle from a local bottle shop here in San Diego. Our good that we love at Clo. Go Clo. Shout out Clo. Um, but this one of the reasons we actually picked this bottle is because they have a pretty wide distribution. Yes. So specifically, we stood in front of their orange wine section and we're like, which of these going have back we and seen forth, <laughs> and then thinking, what will people? see on their shelves some they don't have yeah. to have a you know a specialty wine, wine shop, shop. Um, yeah and so you can even i've seen this label at both bevmo and total wine mm-hmm. so this is a really good opportunity again to use that winesearcher.com and see where you can find this wine near you but it is available i mean they make a fuck ton of it so there you go is that a scientific measurement fuck ton yeah. absolutely it should be it should be it's you know what Somebody out there, start making a wine and just call it Fuck Done. Oh, my God. Is there a wine called Fuck Done? No. All right, we need to research that. I feel like we know enough We just created a new wine label. We into this, though. The Fuck Done. The Fuck Ton. Um, it only comes out at the holidays. <laughs> Medlock Games does do a 50 tons, but they're too classy to be like, That's not fun, though. Ton. No. We know some fun people, though. We can make The Fuck Ton wine. The- I'm into it. You know what? Trademarked. That is fucking trademarked because we said it first. So if anyone would like to do business with us and make this special Two Girls in a Grape edition fuck ton wine, first of all, follow us on Instagram. Yep. We're at TWO Girls in a Grape Pod. That's TWO Girls in a Grape P-O-D. Slide into those DMs and be like, hey, bitches, we'll make that wine with you. We'll make Let's a fuck ton of wine together. We'll Let's go. fuck ton of wine. Let's do it. And if you have enjoyed this episode and all of our episodes, because we are a goddamn delight. We are. Make sure that you like, subscribe, five stars, and yeah, then go drink yourself into some happiness. Yes. So, with that, salut. Salon. Croissant. 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 Scooby-Doo.